All right. I, uh, I don't know if you heard it or not. When the kids were asked if they were ready for, for their, their kids' quest time, there was a, it's a pretty mixed bag of yes and no. And I feel like even there's a kind of a joke amongst our staff team where David is our representative of Yay Christmas, and I'm kind of like the I'm not ready for it yet person. So if that's you, maybe in the room, there's like a bunch of us here who are like, if I was to say, are you ready for Christmas? We might get the same sort of response, like, yeah or no. Um, but we are, we are in the season of Advent, and um, one of the, the great backdrops of Advent is, is darkness. And so we're going to explore a little bit of darkness. I wear my black shirt to be as dark as possible today. Uh, interestingly, I'm a bit night blind. Uh, I drove here this morning in the dark, but um, I am barely reliant on my flashlight. Uh, I often, in the middle of the night, if I have to go like resituate a child who you know needs to use the bathroom or had a bad night, uh, a bad dream, I will bring my phone with me. But if I forget, there's a good chance I'm going to walk into a wall, which sounds crazy because I've lived in the same house for a while now, and you think like you would know where the walls are, and I'm constantly I'll be like feeling the wall if I'm like walking because I I just I'm very very my eyes don't work in the dark. So when I go to put the chickens away at night. It's the same path every night. It's the same routine every day. But if I don't have my flashlight, I will walk into a tree branch. Anybody else night blind like that? Oh, there's only like three of us. Okay, good. So there's this verse in Isaiah, Isaiah 9. It's one of those great Advent passages. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. A light has dawned on those living in the land of darkness. This is the tension of Advent And Fleming Rutledge says, Advent is the season that, when properly understood, does not flinch from the darkness that stalks us all in the world. Advent begins in the dark and moves toward the light, but the season should not move too quickly or too glibly, lest we fail to acknowledge the depth of the darkness. I've been sitting with that quote this week. What does it mean to acknowledge the depth of the darkness? What is meant by the word darkness? here in Scripture, in other places in Scripture? What do we think of when we hear this word? What have our religious subcultures told us about this idea? Personally, I'm a bit ambivalent around darkness. I grew up in, uh, in the church, in an evangelical church, that set, had a very strong narrative of good and evil, heroes and villains, light and dark. I grew up reading Frank Peretti's novels, this present darkness, Pearson, anybody else? Yes? Okay, I'm not alone. I love those novels. Like, I could not put them down. Um, and, you know, they're often set in rural, rundown, backwoods places, like where I currently live. So it's got another layer of meaning for me now. And when, you know, the, they're all really, really dark until people start praying. And you're like, oh, people are praying. The prayer chain is going. Uh, on the other hand, I fully embraced an emo punk phase my parents were not uh, photographers before the age of, of uh, you know, smartphones. They have no digital footprint of my really, really dark, uh, I had black long spikes that I used to put in, black nail polish. Um, I would, my favorite song was by Project 86, This Is The Hour When Darkness Reigns. Yes, I heard a couple, yes. This was like, if I had a playlist, because I didn't, I had maybe had a disc man, um, it would be on that. And so I, but I also in my, in my university years grew up to love the tension of light and dark, the middle space, the liminal space, the in-between, the, the sun sets and the sun rises, where these two things collide. Maybe you're like that, like, like uh, me with that. We're in this series called Come Lord Jesus. 
And today we're, we're using the, the refrain or the invitation, Christ is coming. Christ is coming. We're going to look at that today. We know that Jesus comes as light in the darkness, in the incarnation, and at, the, and at Christmas. But before we ever arrive there, we sit in this season of darkness, awaiting the coming of Christ, reenacting this story as a people waiting in darkness for a great light rooting ourselves in this great narrative of a people waiting for Christ to show up to us, in us, and through us. Fun fact about Christmas, it's highly unlikely that Jesus was born on December 25th. The reason for the timing of this holiday is to do with light and darkness. It's the darkest time of the year. It corresponds with winter solstice when the days uh, begin, when they are the darkest, and then they begin at that, that hinge point to get a little longer. And so Christmas collides with that. It, it's theologically significant. The light breaks into the darkness. And Advent is situated as the darkness that precedes the light that, in, that breaks in. So I want to I walk us through a few landscapes of darkness today. First of all, the darkness as a gift. Second, the darkness within us. And finally, the darkness without or beyond us. So there's beauty in the darkness in the darkest of seasons. And yes, there's tremendous beauty available to us in this season of Advent. If only we settle in long enough to see it. If only we, we sit in the darkness long enough for our eyes to adjust. And perhaps the darkest psalm in the Psalter, the psalmist cries out in Psalm 88, are your marvelous wonders ever seen in the dark? It's a gloomy, despair-filled psalm filled with more questions than answers. Not super hopeful. And as we consider this question, are your wonders ever seen in the dark? I want to remind us of, of the use of, of the night sky and the darkness as a backdrop. There's so many important pieces in Scripture. We're going to go through this list pretty quickly. God creates in the void, in the dark. The Hebrew day begins at nightfall. There was morning, or the evening, and then there was morning. And even the season we're entering into, Advent, is actually the beginning of the church calendar year, so our church calendar begins in the darkness. Abraham is given a promise under the night sky, told to look up at the stars, that there will be a, a promise, a hope, a building of a family. Jacob wrestles all night with God. In the Exodus story, the people of Israel hold a nighttime vigil on the eve of their fleeing, as they get ready, as they anticipate what God's going to do on this journey. They actually cross the Red Sea by night. We might think of this story and think, oh, they probably crossed through by day, but they crossed through by night. And in the morning, the songs of Moses and Miriam show up to them. God provides at night. The dew would fall at night. The manna would be provided under the night sky. God calls to Samuel in the night. Daniel spends the entire night alone in a lion's den. In a season of exile and in seasons of transition, the psalmist reminds us that we wait like watchmen wait for the morning. In the Advent story, an angel appeared to the shepherds at night, and the magi, the wise men, followed the star to Jesus in the night. Mary gives birth to Jesus at night. Mary and Joseph and Jesus flee to Egypt under the night sky. Jesus spends many nights in remote places in prayer. In a few of Jesus' parables, the groom shows up in the night, causing us to, to ask questions of, of preparedness as we await the arrival of Jesus to us. 
Jesus walks on water and stills the storm at night. And finally, toward the very end of the story, in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus prays through the night. Scripture reminds us that the darkness is often fertile ground for the promise of hope and new life, like seeds that fall in autumn, go under the dormant and dark earth in winter, and then shoot up in spring. The darkness is often a backdrop for when the tides turn, for when possibility arrives, for when clarity avails its face to us. And so it is with anticipation that we say Christ is coming to us. And one of the discussion questions that I would love for us to wrestle with in this season of Advent is what are the gifts offered to you, to me, to us in the season of darkness, in seasons of darkness, but also this particular season? What is the gift here for us? What is the fertile ground, the possibility, the invitation? The season does come to us as gift and invitation. It comes to us as a prayerful utterance in some ways, whispered in the darkness, how long, Lord, how long? When we consider the interior landscape of our, of our minds and our hearts, our souls, our mental health, our inner being, our spiritual vitality, we know it's been a long few years, a tough few years. We've experienced the fracturing of our communities and the subsequent arrival of pervasive loneliness. In a recent study called Our Epidemic of Loneliness and Isolation by the U.S. Surgeon General, the fracturing of communities has led to a significant health crisis. And just uh, two weeks back on the current uh, CBC program, they focused the part of the conversation on loneliness in post-pandemic Canada. And they said, one of their, their guests were a series of doctors, and they said, loneliness is as much of a threat to our health as smoking is. But the difference is that it's hidden behind a different kind of stigma. It's a stigma that nobody wants to admit they are lonely. In Psalm 88, again, we look and we see the psalmist's cry, you have distanced loved one and neighbor from me. Darkness is my only friend. When my wife and I moved to our little farm during the pandemic, we remarked, we'd rather be lonely in the country than lonely in the city. And in that, there's an admission of loneliness. We'd witnessed our community's fracture, and we were operating on the back foot, homeschooling in a very small urban house with restless kids, and greener pastures seemed like a great idea. We'd rather be lonely there. When I was, uh, I was taking a course on asset-based community development by the Tamarack Institute here in Kitchener a few years ago, and I was sitting in a roundtable discussion with a number of, of uh, people from various fields, social work, doctors, clergy, um, and the conversation around social prescriptions came up. This idea that, that this need for connection for associational connection, for things we do together, is so incredibly needed that it sometimes bears the weight of a prescription. And people won't take it seriously unless a doctor says, actually, this is what I'm prescribing. This is what you need. You need to get out. You need to connect. You need to be with people. You need to share a meal with people. But on top of our loneliness of heart, we're faced with heavy topics like abuse in the church, and our hearts and our minds and our faith containers have been punctured. And many of us have been deconstructing and reconstructing our faith. And as a church, we've been talking about reimagining church. But none of this is easy. It wears on us, and the wear and tear can be seen and felt and experienced in the darkness of our inner beings. We seldom invite people into these spaces. 
into these honest, unfiltered, raw inner landscapes. We rarely reveal all of our doubts, our fears, our worries, and the grief that is there. But for many of us, these things are true, they are there, and we're often all alone with them. And I wonder if when we silence our phones and turn off our notifications and unplug from the myriad distractions of the world, when we turn down the Christmas music, we come face to face with the haunting songs of our inner selves. Maybe fused or mixed with the songs of Advent, O come, thou long expectant Jesus. O come, O come, Emmanuel. For us, the invitation of Advent is to pay attention to the inner landscape, to the frailness of our inner being, to the cries of our heart, to the longings of our soul, to the words and phrases that give language to our lament. Perhaps even to the idea of the dark night of the soul. Uh, you probably have heard of this. I think Patricia most recently brought it up in a sermon. The dark night of the soul, is, its origins are likely with this guy, St. John of the Cross, and he, he wrote it, uh, he penned it in the darkness of a prison cell. And so Oxford defines the term this way, a period of spiritual desolation suffered by a mystic in which all sense of consolation is removed. Think about consolation and desolation. Desolation is a kind of emptiness, a kind of despair. And consolation is the comfort or the, uh, the restoration of that. Consolation flows from desolation. Is it possible that these last few years have left our souls battered and beaten down and more akin to desolation than consolation, more withered and weedy than vibrant and flourishing? It is precisely in this moment that the darkness is a gift and an invitation. Again, if we settle into this landscape long enough, if we let our eyes adjust, we can prepare ourselves to once again relive that Christ is coming. And the surprising and beautiful gift of Advent is that Christ shows up to us in our darkness. That our God is not afraid of the dark. Jesus is not afraid of the dark. He's not afraid of the darkest of our secrets. He's not afraid of the depths of our anguish or our painful questions. He's not afraid of our deeper despair or our angst or our fear or our anger. Christ is coming precisely to meet us in these spaces and in these tough conversations and in these challenges, in the places where we precisely are today. Christ is coming and longs to come to the places we hide from everyone else. And so Advent reminds us that it is true that the marvelous works of God are sometimes birthed in the dark. And so with anticipation, we say, Christ is coming in us. And the question for us to then wrestle with, if this is true, is how might God be arriving to the darkest parts of us in this season of waiting and expectation? The phrase within and without refers to that which is happening on the inside, but also that which is happening beyond. So what is the darkness beyond? The, the church has had a bad habit, I would say, of creating this dichotomy of those on the inside of the church being good and those on the outside of the church being bad, those inside, light, those outside, darkness. And so when I'm using this phrase, I want to make it known that I particularly hold to a more Celtic idea of sacredness, that the, the world and everything in it is actually teeming with life and light and beauty, that our humanness is less, oh, we're only human, and more, we are made in the image of God. 
that our humanness is belovedness and that there is beauty and goodness beyond the walls of the church just as much as there is some hideous ideology and theology even within the walls of the church. That being said, I won't deny that there's a struggle against the darkness. It was just a couple weeks ago that Devin uh, spoke on moving from violence to peacemaking, and here he referenced all sorts of violent acts and systems, and beneath these acts and systems is a heart of darkness. This heart of darkness is characterized by the vices of pride and greed and wrath and envy and lust, gluttony and sloth. We don't have to look too far to see the impact of this darkness in our world. The world is at war. Countries are battling over resources and land. We're heading, and we've been heading into for a while, a global crisis on the future of our planet. We're surrounded by polarization and vengeful and vindictive motivations and narratives. And when we turn inward to our own country, we see all levels of government blaming each other for the scarcities that exist in our systems. Trauma lingers unresolved until it manifests in addiction. A housing crisis pushes out those on the margins. And when we pull at all these threads, we eventually come face to face with these vices again, with this heart of darkness. And it's easy to feel angry at the darkness, at at the systems of darkness, at at the systemic oppression that our, our loved ones and our neighbors are feeling, that we may be feeling. And it makes sense to long for the inbreaking light of Christmas, for hope, for life, for light, for Jesus. Christ is coming. Again and again, we remind ourselves that Christ is coming. And here I don't mean this in the sense of the second coming of Christ, you know, riding on the clouds, shining like the sun at the trumpet call. No, here I'm talking about the daily arrival of Christ to the world through the incarnation of Jesus in us. Us, we, the church, the body on earth, the body of Christ here. Christ comes to us again and again, but Christ also comes through us. How does he come? Does he come as one who stays far away from the darkness? Does he come waging war on the darkness in the name of the light? Does he come as judgment and fire? Does he come as one who wants to destroy the darkness? I wonder, how did Jesus come to be with and to live in this fractured and war or a torn and torn apart world? With our remaining minutes, I want to look at just a really, really significant passage in Isaiah 58, one of my favorite. It's a conversation between God the prophet Isaiah, and the people, where the people want to offer God a fast, a a ritual, a service, and God asks, what kind of fast do you think I want? And perhaps there's a, a correlation, a connection to the kind of Christmas celebration we long to set and what God might prefer from us. God proceeds to describe the kinds of actions he desires, breaking the chains of wickedness, untying the ropes of the yoke, setting the oppressed free, to tear off every burden, to share your bread with the hungry, to bring the poor and homeless into your house, to clothe the naked when you see them, and not to ignore your own flesh and blood. And then Isaiah 58, 8 says this, then your light will appear like the dawn and your recovery will come quickly. These two ideas, recovery will come, healing, restoration, but also the dawning light, connected, seemingly. Then the light will show up to face the darkness beyond and help restore it. 
A little later on in verse 10, God says, And if you offer yourself to the hungry and satisfy the afflicted one, then your light will shine in the darkness and your night will be like the noon day. This is the, uh, the beautiful invitation of Advent for we who belong to Christ, that we would be like the, the arriving light of Jesus that radiates the exact opposite of the heart of darkness. We would radiate kindness and generosity and long-suffering and gentleness and courage, self-control and peace. And so it is with the anticipation that we say Christ is coming through us in this season. And the last question for us to consider as we will shift in a moment to discussion tables and then pancakes, a feast of pancakes, is how do we choose to be and to live in this fractured and torn apart world? Let's pray. God, thank you for the prophetic voices for Isaiah, for the voices from the margins, from the voices that have spent time in darkness. Thank you for the poets in our midst who are, have spent time in the same landscapes, have wrestled with these themes. So I want to lead us through a prayer that is a poem by David Gate. Invitation for you to just hear it. Hope is nocturnal. It comes from the light, but does not belong there, preferring the darkness to sharp brightness, for it has no purpose where hearts will believe. Happily what they see. So it makes a home in the deep shadows where it waits to be found by those who need it most. And so, God, here at the beginning of this, this darkest of seasons, we whisper, Christ is coming. We anticipate your coming. We pray for our own journeys in the dark, our own experiences, our own inner landscape of darkness. We pray that as we settle in, as we pay attention, as we anticipate your coming, Jesus, but maybe hope would be found there. And that hope is coming that the one who is with us in the darkness illuminates a better way and changes everything. Amen. Amen.